Miami Street Photography Festival is being held this year, running from December 5th through December 8th. I have attended the two previous years and can say it's one of the best photo festivals that you can go to. There are other big photo shows, but many of them focus on equipment and software. Miami is about photography and photographers. They have an amazing lineup of photographers who are serving as presenters and workshop leaders, including Eugene Richards, Nico Ekonopoulos, Matt Weber, Jens Krauer, Gustavo Minas, and today's guest, Magdalena Soleil. Magdalena is a former guest of the show and the author of one of my favorite photographic books, New Delta Rising. I'm drawn to her work not only because she has an exceptional eye, but because she brings compassion to her work that's evident in all of her photographs. It's often born from the sincere curiosity she has for people, not as photographic subjects, but as human beings. I like to know those people. I like to, you know, hear their stories, their suffering. It's like these relatives that I find myself so fortunate to have all over the world that I revisit and I'm in their place and I hear their stories and I tell them about me. Although I think most people think I'm somehow an alien from outer space or something that just lands there sometimes. But but it's just I just find so fortunate to be able to do that. And, and only the camera affords me to do that. Just this little camera on this bag, you know, I can pull out and and I can just step in the middle of people's lives. You know, I don't know how I would do that without a camera. I guess one could. But it's like the camera is like my excuse for walking into people's lives and, and getting to know their life stories. Magdalena produces many great singular photographs, but for her... They're not finished until she prints them. She then begins seeing those images again for how they relate to each other and what they say to her as a whole, as a body of work. Whenever I work on a project, my idea is always I have photography is not just taking pictures. That to me is maybe 20 percent of all of it. And uh, a much greater part is putting them together, editing them sequencing them, creating a melody out of those pictures, creating a, a work, creating a book, creating a show, creating a, uh, you know, a projection, a photo montage, something, you know, creating a body. And if you don't think of that and you just think, oh, I'm a photographer, I'm just going to take pictures, maybe I'll sell them to somebody. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I don't know how that would work for me. Because to me, really, the project is not finished until I, I've, I have a book. And I don't even understand what I'm doing until I finalize my edit or I create a show that people react to. We will talk to Magdalena about the importance of culling and editing her photographs into bodies of work and how her first book informed her subsequent projects, including her next book on Cuba. This is Ibadi and X. And welcome back to The Candid Frame. Yeah, so we lived in New York City for a long time, and I loved New York. I still do so much. 
but uh, there came a time in New York City where the city became so gentrified. I don't know if you know oh, New York yeah, at all. Yeah. And, you know, we just kind of used to like those neighborhoods. You know, it was like many cities in, into one and there were all these people. And then, you know, for better or worse, you know, one day the city got so clean and everybody was so organized and everything, you know, it's maybe an exaggeration, but it just became all those little funny places that I remembered were just gone. Yeah. You know, it just covered us with such sadness over, over that loss of that real place, you know, we knew in New York City that we said, okay, let's, let's march north somewhere. <laughs> so. I had actually never been to Vermont before we moved here, so. Well, I hear it's a beautiful part of the country, so. It's gorgeous, and it's so different from, from anything that I knew, so it's it's quite amazing. Yeah. Really, it is. Well, I, I have to say that your book is a book that I always recommend to people. I just love that book about the Mississippi Delta. Oh, uh, do you? Know, you? Yeah, I was just from the moment I first saw it. It's been one of my favorite books. I like returning to it over and over again. I actually lent it to a friend, which I shouldn't have done. I should have had him, had him bought it because now I got to bug him to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't return it. <laughs> oh, that means a lot that you say that. It was very, you know, it was a tricky line to walk, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, doing photographs of, of, of people living in poverty, you know, some people take umbrage to that. Yeah. But to me, and I don't know how to say this in any other way, but those are the people that actually really interest me, that I find are alive, you know, that have something to say that interests me. So all I do is just follow that. Yeah. Well, we, we talked a lot about that 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 book uh, the first time I talked with you, and I thought it, it might be in, more interesting to talk more in depth about the entire process of working on mm -hmm. a personal project. You know what's involved with it, especially the second time around, because I know you're going to come out with a book on Cuba next year. But mm -hmm. I know I know there are a lot of people that are interested in not only working on personal projects, but eventually seeing it culminate in, in, in a book. But I think since you've done this going on a second time, it would be interesting to have a chance to sort of go over what, you lo what you've learned, what you're doing differently. Mm -hmm. But first off, let, let's talk about this new product project, this upcoming book on, on Cuba. How did it uh, come mm -hmm. about for you? Well, I started going to Cuba and, you know, I, I always wanted to go to Cuba. I don't, you know, as long as I remember. And one day I somehow just went and I got all the different permits that you needed at the time and I went. And when I arrived there, and I know other people have had that experience, I just found my childhood Spain there. I grew up in Spain during Franco the dictator and Spain was a very... Oh, very difficult, but very beautiful country. It was just, it had all these things that didn't work. And it just, it was just not quite right ever with anything. And the roads were congested and there were donkeys on the road. And and then I come to Cuba and there are the same donkeys on the road and, and the same kind of decrepitude that I left when I was a kid. And, and one thing, so why would you miss that? And... I miss it because it, it has a certain, I don't know, love, something about it that I just was connected to. So that's how I came 
to Cuba. And that's how, you know, the first moment that I arrived there, I knew I was, I was in a place I loved, mm-hmm. you know, you know, including like the border people, you know, the border police, you know, they had the same faces as they used to in Spain. They horrified me. You know, I always thought I would be arrested, never to be found again. And, and, mm-hmm. and Cuba has the same people, but they have these fabulous dogs at the border. I don't know if you've been to Cuba. They're like these mutts, you know, and they sniff and they eat and they're so fabulous. And I don't know, I just fell in love with the whole package right then and there when I stepped into the airport. So there are a lot of people who have done work on Cuba who are doing work in Cuba. What did you feel you wanted to to bring to your work that you wanted to explore in terms of spending time in Cuba and, and making photographs? Actually, I, I'm not a conceptual person. I, I don't come out with an idea and then I, I go after filling in the blanks. I always have looked for a place that I connect with my heart. And it's very unpredictable. You know, I go to different places all over the world, you know, I can go to a place in some, you know, the middle of nowhere in Japan and connect to it. Or I can be, you know, coming to Cuba and connect with it. Mm-hmm. So it was just that moment of just, I get it. It's it's my place. It's the place I love. And I felt the same way about the Mississippi Delta, about all those quirky people that I met and those wonderful people and their difficult lives and their strange histories. And I don't know, it's like... You know, I guess fish might feel that way when you put them in the right <laughs> pond and they just kind of paddle around. <laughs> so that's how I photograph. You know, I have to find my right pond that I can jump into and connect with it. And then pictures come out of me and I connect and I make pictures. And everything else kind of comes much later. Because I heard a presentation where you talked about someone asked you the question of how much time do you spend on a personal project? Yeah. And and, and that can be important because time is as valuable resource as money is. Yeah. It, it seems like you just kind of dove in and then you kind of kind of figured it out. But, you know, time is, of course, an issue. So how, you know, talk to me about how much time do you dedicate to one personal project as opposed to another? And because I know you've worked on multiple projects. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, when I started out, I always thought a personal project should be one to two weeks until I came to the realization that it was totally crazy that, you know, unless you spent a minimum of three months with anything full time, you, you don't go anywhere. And since then, it's taken years to work on a project. So... (laughs) In Cuba, I think I first went there in 2019 or something like that. At night, that's now. It must be 20, uh, 2009 or 2008. And I've been working ever since there. And I just go back every year for a couple of weeks. And, and I think it's just the, the returning and, and kind of becoming part of the history. And the only thing I can kind of associate that with is when I was a kid, you know, we always went back to Spain every summer to visit the relatives. And uh, we lived in Switzerland, we we exiled to Switzerland. And so when we would go to Spain, you know, we'd go there for three weeks or something and reconnect with the family and everybody. And strangely, if I think about it, that's how I do my photography. I go back to places and I 
almost view them as my family and I just go revisit them and I photograph. And somehow these projects are not close-ended. They're just more open-ended, I would say. Okay. Does that make any sense? No, it, it, it does. I think what I'm trying to sort of figure out is that there are a lot of people who visit a, a particular location over and over again. Right? They go there and they may go every year, every couple of years. They produce a lot of photographs, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've produced a body of work that is worth the time that's going to be that, that you're going to have to dedicate to culling images, putting them together. Just because you shoot a lot of pictures that may be well composed and has beautiful light and interesting characters doesn't mean that you have anything to say. So how do that's you sort a good of point? Yeah. So I'm kind of curious in terms of at what point did you kind of realize that, oh, this is what I want to say about my experience in Cuba? Well, I think Whenever I work on a project, my idea is always I have photography is not just taking pictures. That to me is maybe 20% of all of it. And a much greater part is putting them together, editing them, sequencing them, creating a melody out of those pictures, creating a, a work, mm-hmm. creating a book, creating a show, creating a, uh, you know, a projection, a photo montage, something, you know, creating a body. And if you don't think of that and you just think, oh, I'm a photographer, I'm just going to take pictures, maybe I'll sell them to somebody. Uh, I I don't think, I don't know how that would work for me. Because to me, really, the project is not finished until I, I've, I have a book. And I don't even understand what I'm doing until I finalize my edit or I create a show that people react to. Mm-hmm. And maybe it has to do that I came, you know, my background is in film. I, I, I was a film producer. I worked in film. And, you know, you, you can shoot as much as you want, but if you can't project this thing onto a screen at some point, you have absolutely no story. You have just pieces that are unwatchable. And I think, if I may say so, a lot of photographers these days just kind of lose sight of that. That, you know, just because we can capture everything digital, we can just put it all in a computer and more and more. That's not so much what photography is about. It's about what comes out of that eventually. And I think in the very old days, you know, when you did, when you had prints and you were in the dark room, at least you came out with something you could somehow hold in your hands and then, you know, show or do something with it. But I think that's just kind of gone into the background that, concept you know when i'm working on 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 a personal project where i don't go in with this particular agenda what i what i tend to do is i will group like images uh-huh. um you, you know say it's portraits uh it's workers it's environment whatever you know whatever name i want to give them and over time as i'm producing pictures i throw more into those categories and i'll periodically go in there and decide okay i have these three pictures that better represent this idea and I get rid of those. And then as I continue to shoot, I start looking at, okay, am I really telling as the kind of story that I think that I'm telling, you know, where, where have I succeeded? Where have I failed? What's missing? And sometimes I just sort of approach it that way rather than coming up with a written concept and then shooting based on whatever concept I started off initially. So I'm just curious, at what phase do you start 
looking at your work and assessing it critically? I think actually I do this pretty much in, in every time I, I kind of get a big bunch of pictures. So every time, for example, I went to Cuba, I came back and I printed, I edited, I put the images together and I started like constructing this puzzle. And every time I went, I like replaced pieces of the puzzle, I added some new ones and it's really a process. It's not just like at the end, I just throw it all out on the table and say something here. Mm-hmm. But it's really kind of like I build it up. And then, you know, I'm guilty of photographing too many dogs. <laughs> I love dogs. I have more dog pictures than anybody should ever have. And I shouldn't show them to anybody. That's okay. But, you know, I stuff like that doesn't really come to you unless you every time you you go to a place and you collect pictures you put them together and you say oh not again did I do that you know I spent 50% of my time photographing this again and it's nothing wrong with being repetitive but of course you can have a book on all the same subject or at least I don't want to and so it just makes me smile you know the things that we are drawn to the things that we are not drawn to that sometimes I realize, you know, I have not one picture of this particular thing. Why is that? And and then I just kind of go find out what's so compelling or appalling to me about it. So I I do tend to to collect pictures and every time put them into into an edit and then um, print them out, hang them around me, and then I go back. Okay. And for example, on Cuba, you know, I thought, oh, I'm so great, you know, finally I got this book together. I'm so happy. Everything's good. You know, that moment when you know you're going to fall off the cliff. <laughs> and then just as I'm saying that, you know, Fidel Castro dies. You know, the whole book was just like, okay, now what? You know, like this entire new thing has just been introduced and I left the next day and I photographed that. And now how do you incorporate that in something that is so kind of nicely woven together into a whole? And so I had to like kind of just be open to kind of tearing it apart again without destroying it, which is always the danger yeah. in like that. Well, it's kind of like uh, writing, working on writing something and the computer crashes and you lose everything and you have to start over. As frustrating as that can be, I sometimes feel like having the chance to start over actually makes it better. Was that your experience? Yes, yes. And then finally you look at it afresh. And I realized, you know, I always tell people, you know, I, I teach editing and so forth. And I always tell people, don't just go back and rip everything apart. You know, just you have something and so you need to incorporate something new. It's more like building blocks that you add to it and you, you know, and you rethink everything with every new element that you add and you bring to it. And some of those new elements can be giant and some can be very small, but, you know, you try not to just throw everything up and say, okay, let's start over again. And I learned that really the hard way when I first, you know, the Delta book you were saying about, you were talking about, you know, I had it, beautiful edit what I think was a really strong edit and I had these wonderful people helping me with it and and I'm I felt good about it and then I showed it to a very well-known prestigious person who's published tons of books she said 
you have to start over with the edit. Let's go back to that. Uh, let me go back to um, part of that, that question, because you mentioned about printing and mm-hmm. the images. And I think that that is a real critical part of the, the editing process. Mm-hmm. As much as people love to look at pictures on the screen, when it comes time to choosing images and seeing how they relate to each other, you have to print them in order to I make totally them. I totally agree. Yeah. So tell me about, about that process for you and its, and its role in your, in your work. Well, I think I've, I did that from, from the very beginning, which was, you know, I, I got these, what do you call it, wires that I hang like, like mm-hmm. strings on a guitar in my studio. And I have like wires and wires hanging everywhere. And they're metallic. So, so you can put magnets on them and you can hang, you know, hundreds of prints of those. And the prints don't have to be big. You know, it's not about creating the most gorgeous print in the beginning. But, you know, to me, prints are like um, in, a, in a musical thing. It, they're just like harmonies or something, you know, it, and, and you have to put them next to each other and in order to see if they work and how they work and how they sound. Mm-hmm. And if you do it on the screen, you can do it to a certain point, but it's much more difficult, I think, to really quickly understand what you're looking at. Yeah, so Yeah, I, I, I agree. And for me, this is, I think... This may be a sort of mental thing for me, but there's something about experiencing a photograph with a white border around it. You know, when I hold that piece yeah. of paper and I see it within the context of that piece of paper, I think I not so much appreciate the photograph, but I think I experience the photograph as a photograph in that in that moment where it isn't just an image that's glowing off the screen. There's something about seeing it on, on paper that gives me a better sense of how effectively it works especially in relationship with another picture. And I think sometimes, you know, images are very forgiven when they're backlit and beautifully shown on, on the screen. And when they're just kind of on a, on a piece of paper, they just resonate totally different. And I find that very fascinating, but to me, it's still foremost a printed medium. Mm-hmm. And for the first time I did a photo montage, which was truly the most insane thing I think I've ever done because it entailed about a thousand images that needed to be put together and sequenced differently. It was like creating a movie kind of shot by shot wow. that you have to go photograph somewhere and then assemble it. And it's it's just so interesting when you project an image, you know, how different that image lives in your perception than if you have a printed image, you know, a piece of paper. And I still love books. I mean, I'm just a junkie for books. (laughs) I have to build a bookshelf right behind me because I've run out of space and I keep getting more books. So they have to go. So they're just stacking up on my uh, counter in the back and it just it just looks unseemly. It sounds seemly, yeah. My <laughs> husband and I had a deal, you know, we lived in New York in this little apartment. And so the deal was we only had so much bookshelf space. So if I bought a book, I had to get rid of a book. <sighs> so it was only a finite amount of, but now here in Vermont, it's like, you know, there's no end to the books. Oh my God. <laughs> but I do love the smell of them. You know, I love the smell of the print. You know, I, I love even going on, a, you know, on a printing press, you know, when things get printed. Mm-hmm. And that smell, you know, to me, is just part of it all. It's, it's not just the visual. It's the smell. It's the texture. 
On the day that I record this, I'll be attending a small meetup of podcasters here in Los Angeles, several of whom began podcasting a year or two before I did. I'll be meeting some of these people for the very first time, some of whom produced some of the very first podcast I ever listened to 15 years ago. I count myself honored to be invited to attend this event and to be able to say that we're still here making content for listeners from all over the world. Though it's not easy work, I derive too much joy and satisfaction to stop. I imagine that many of the people that I'll meet today will share that same sentiment. I mean, why else would you do something for over a decade that you weren't getting paid for if it wasn't about love and passion? And regardless of how long you have been listening to the show, I hope that you have developed a love and passion for TCF. And if you have, please consider supporting the show by becoming a Patreon supporter. By contributing only $5 or more a month, you can help us to deliver these conversations to you every month and every year. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame and become a Patreon supporter today. Thanks. Now you, you talked about going to Cuba and you, and you go there once a year, but I, tell me about the, the projects that don't require you to travel as far that subject matter that you can revisit a little more frequently. How do you sort of, how do you sort of, sort of figure out those projects that are relatively closer to home, um, how much time you're going to dedicate to those? Well, you know, when I lived in New York City, when I first started out, I photographed a lot around the city. And that was so joyful in a sense that I was able to explore the far reaches of New York, you know, of Manhattan, of the all the boroughs, every corner, you know, that I never had reason to go see, I went to visit. And that was fabulous. And and then here in Vermont, I, I photograph some, but I, I have to be very honest, like when I'm here, I work on my pictures. I, I process everything that I just kind of hold back and, and I, you know, so I don't really have a ton of time to actually go outside to capture or, or collect any images here. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I don't know, you know, I, I, you know, as I said, you know, it's like I always look for the pond that is right for me to jump into. And it's strange places that do that. Like um, th- there is this area called Kamagasaki in Japan, in Osaka, that has all these um, men that have been ostracized from society and they all live there like in a ghetto or a slum. And, I don't know why, but, you know, I went to photograph there and I immediately felt connected with it. And I remember those people saying to me, like, go look at something nice, you know, go see a <laughs> temple or something. <laughs> you know, you can always come back. You know? <laughs> but and I do appreciate the temples and all the beautiful things. I, don't get me wrong, but but the human connection, those people who live on the fringes and who have a difficult life. They just, to me, I, I just so admire them. Yeah. And I can't know why or why not and why some people are totally uninterested in that. But I always think, you know, even in Cuba, you know, I think if if people had to live in Cuba, Americans, you know, sometimes just for a month or two, 
and live the lives that they live, you know, carrying everything from one village to the other because there's no transportation. Half the people will be dead. Yeah. You know, they're so strong and they're so amazing and they're so selfless in all of that. It's just what it is. And it maybe reminds me of my, you know, grandmother or, of you know, how I grew up where things just weren't so easy. But I took pride in that, you know, and so... I don't know. That's how I feel at home. You know, one of the things I really uh, loved about your book on the Mississippi Delta is that I felt that you were part of the community that you were photographing. I felt that there was a, a, a an engagement that went beyond you simply being a photographer who was just pointing a camera at these people. And I and I suspect that that probably yeah. is this what's happening with your uh, work in Cuba, though I haven't had had the chance to see the see the book yet. Yeah, I. that's what I like. I like to kind of become part of the, the communities. And and I don't like being an outsider shooting in from out. I like to know those people. I like to, you know, hear their stories, their suffering. It's like these relatives that I find myself so fortunate to have all over the world that I revisit and I'm in their place and I hear their stories and I... Tell them about me, although I think most people think I'm somehow an alien from out of space or something that just lands there sometimes. But but it's just I just find so fortunate to be able to do that. And and only the camera affords me to do that. Just this little camera on this back, you know, I can pull out and and I can just step in the middle of people's lives. You know, I don't know how I would do that without a camera. I guess one could. But it's like the camera is like my excuse for walking into people's lives and, and getting to know their life stories. You know, one of the things I think is because you teach workshops and you've taught workshops in different different locations, Mississippi, Cuba. And it's one thing to teach people how to make good photographs. It's quite another thing to teach people how to tell a story and, mm-hmm. you know, so what what do you feel is important for you to teach your students when you're conducting your workshops so they can get beyond simply making that individually nice looking photograph and making something more substantive? Well, I think I always try to convey that you have to connect and respect people and that if you can't love the people you photograph, you shouldn't photograph them. If they're just kind of weird or strange or whatever, don't even go there. You have to have a certain compassion and really appreciation for your subject, you know, and, and I try to teach that, like, don't walk into these people's midst and, and, and not care about them. You know, we're just like such instinctual beings. Everybody feels it and knows it. But if you have an open heart and you can embrace them, then you can photograph them. Mm-hmm. And if you're not interested in them, then you shouldn't photograph them. Then you should just walk away. And that happens to me sometimes too, you know, rarely, but it happens. I just know I'm at the wrong place and I should just walk away. And then I do. So if anything, I, I do try to convey to people to, to just be open-hearted when they photograph and not just be there to steal a picture. You know, you can't do that. I think. Do you do when in a new situation? Do you sort of establish yourself for a while before you start making photographs? 
It depends, you know. I mean, I've jumped out of the car in front of an entire family and said, I just can't help it, but you look so fabulous. I just <laughs> had to stop and take your picture. Forgive me, you know. And and then they just say, you're crazy or whatever, you know. <laughs> or So it happens like that. But I also can be sitting, you know, having a water on the side of the road for an hour or two until the entire town comes out to see who this person is. And then I let people come to me, you know, and ask what, I, what I'm doing. You know, what are you doing here? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And then the word goes around, you know, especially like in the Mississippi Delta, like all these people come out. There's nothing happening. And so suddenly there's this person here, you know, and that's how I meet people. Do you, do you feel in this, at least in the States, your accent helps? Maybe, yes. I'm not sure, you know, and... <sighs> Speaking of accent, you know, when I first went to the Mississippi Delta, I just could not understand a word anybody was saying. Mm. So it was tough, you know, because I didn't want people to think I thought they were speaking funny or something. I just was incapable of understanding them. So, so I brought a recorder. I thought, you know, maybe that will help. And then I can have somebody kind of tell me what people are saying. And and I was in a situation, there was this African-American gentleman. He was somebody I I'm always will be very fond of. And he had this accent I just couldn't understand. He's telling me the story when his father drowned swimming across the Mississippi River in, you know, during the big um, flood. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, nice, you know, because I didn't understand what he was saying. And he was, of course, so wonderful because he couldn't understand either what I was saying. So we both had like these stories of the heart and we still liked each other. (laughs) Even without a language, we could somehow know that we cared for one another. That's beautiful. So sometimes I think, you know, language is not everything. And maybe sometimes my accent helps me. You know, people say... Where are you from? You know, have you come on an airplane? And I say, yes, I'm, you know, but I, I live in New York at the time for the most part. I don't even tell people I live in Vermont. That's just so far away. <laughs> people can't even grasp that. So tell me about what you learned from the first book that helped you with the second one. <sighs> I learned that it takes so much more time than you ever imagined. It's a full-time job and it takes so much time to put it together and to make it right. And if anything, you know, when I did the first book, um, that was really the big lesson. I thought I could just somehow pull it together and, you know, it'll be done in a couple of months. But it took an entire year full-time for the first book, just from the moment I had all the images together and all the sequences just to do the rest. So just to have a good you know, good amount of respect for it, I learned, I think. I've talked to people who often will uh, share the images they're considering with other photographers, with an editor. Who else did you incorporate in the decision-making with with respect to the selection of the images and the sequencing? In my Delta book, I worked with Alex Webb and and Rebecca, his wife, Norris Webb. Mm-hmm. And, and they just were so wonderful. And we had such a such a beautiful relationship and we just kind of argued and we, you know, I wanted a picture in and Alex goes like, this is not a photograph. I'm like, sure, it's a photograph. He's like, no <laughs> way. 
<laughs> and, you know, and it was hugely helpful to work with people who you really trust and not just anybody, you know, who, who will tell you something and to establish that kind of relationship. And in, in my Cuba book, I worked with Elizabeth Avedon. And again, you know, it was just like a, a relationship of trust and of working on these images together over time. And, and I don't know, it's like, you know, working, I don't know if you play music, but if you play in an ensemble or something like that, you get to know each other's quirks and, right. and, and you can adjust and adapt and somebody does a riff and then somebody responds and, and it's a little bit similar when you work with somebody who helps you edit. And it's a very delicate relationship, I would say. So um, are you going through the same publisher? Did you choose another publisher? How did that, how did that work? Um, with the Cuba book, I was very fortunate that the same publisher, University Press of Mississippi, who published my Delta book, just expanded into Caribbean studies as well. And so when I showed them the Cuba book, it was just like, yes, we love it. And and that was that. And they're just the most wonderful people. I just love them to pieces. So I don't know if that everybody says that about their publisher, but I really feel very lucky. And then I was so fortunate. I ran into uh, Pico Ayer, you know, the writer mm-hmm. who had, uh, he's, he's written so many fabulous, beautiful things that have been admiring for a hundred years. And, and he had... Um, been to Cuba and we had the similar relationship as myself to Cuba and so we connected and so he wrote the introduction and so it's just kind of like this magical thing that somehow comes together you know and other times nothing works out you know you're out there photographing and you hit your head against the wall and nothing's coming out but in the end I think a lot of magic goes into it and you just have to let that magic somehow exist you know and you just have to to let it live. And I always knew I wanted to do a book on Cuba. And I always knew I wanted to do a book on the Mississippi Delta. And and my next book is going to be on Japan. And, you know, I don't start a book saying, oh, I have this publisher, I have this or that. No, I just do what I do. And then at the end, I see if I can find a way to do something with it. You know, when you're living with something for as long as you do on some of these projects, it can be a, a big emotional roller coaster. You have these incredible highs, you have these lows. So how do you get through those sort of ups and downs, especially when you're not in the midst of having the opportunity to work on it as much as you would like sometimes? Well, I, I consider myself, you know, half the battle is just doing the work. So, you know, I consider myself, I go to work every day, you know, at nine in the morning and I don't stop until six or seven at night. And no matter what I do, if I'm out there photographing or I'm editing or I'm whatever I do, I just work. And it's just been my discipline for all my life, you know, and I think that's part of the battle Hmm. to getting just through it, you know, just, okay, I can't go on, but I'm going to sit at my desk and I'm just going to figure this out today. (laughs) Just very wise words. <laughs> Hard earned, I'm sure. It's just, you know, and sometimes, yes, there are these ups and downs. But to be honest, I mean, the biggest challenge is, is the balance between, you know, I teach workshops in order to finance my projects. 
because I don't have a sponsor that first sponsors the projects and then I do them. Mm-hmm. And so my workshops facilitate my my work. And sometimes it's a very difficult balance because one is a full-time job and so is the other. And so it's always easy to let the things to earn money take overhand because you think, oh, that will mean, you know, I can do this and that with that. Mm-hmm. But if you neglect your art in the face of it, then you have nothing. So that's always a very delicate balance for me. Yeah. Maybe for everybody. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Who would that be and why? Well... I have to say I'm always so partial to Mary Ellen Mark and just because she was such a dear friend and because she was such a loss for me when she passed and I learned so much from her and I think anybody who can go into her images and and her discipline of her work and her beauty of her images, I mean, there's so many I could name you know but she is somebody that i just personally personally loved so there's that extra yeah amazing woman amazing woman well thank you so much for your for your generosity for your time and for your work i can't wait to to see the cuba book you know i'm trying to remember something i know we met before we had an interview before mm-hmm. and i can't remember when that was i think it was about 2015 <laughs> okay 2015 or 16 it was about something 3 or 4 like years that. ago okay. something like that yeah okay okay <laughs> 3 or 4 years ago good well it's so wonderful to talk with you you're such a great listener and great just participant in hearing people's stories i really really Uh, love talking especially with people whose work i I love and yours is is definitely among that list thank you thanks to magdalena for sharing your time and story with us find out more about her and her work by visiting soleilpictures.com and to find out more about the Miami Street Photography Festival, visit their website at miamistreetphotographyfestival.org. You can also support the show by writing a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And even better, if you really enjoy an episode, spread the word via an email to a friend, a post on your social networks, or word of mouth. It makes all the difference. So thank you for your support and being part of TCF. And also check out our YouTube channel where I offer comments on photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr pool. Check out the TCF Flickr pool and our YouTube channel by clicking on the links in the show notes and website. My most recent book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is available. You can purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code Pirello40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks by signing up for the Candor Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or donating through PayPal. Thanks to Lon Smith, Lauren Fragno, 
Paul John Edwards, and Michelle Elkins for their recent contributions. I can't thank you enough. Now, not all episodes may be available on your podcast app of choice. So to download, listen, and share any and all episodes of The Candid Frame, download the TCF app for Apple iOS or Android. And because of your support, it's free. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.